the greatest thing in mission is to be a child of God. Amen. Uh, I like it when people are awake early in the morning. Uh, good to have everyone out. I enjoy the opportunity of sharing with you again. I'm sorry for the reason uh, when I got a call yesterday afternoon and was told that Carrie's dad uh, was in the hospital and uh, he would not be back this morning. And uh, I, I want to squash the rumor. Uh, the rumor is, is that I enjoy it when he's gone. <laughs> that, that's not true. I'd rather be sitting where you are and hearing the lesson that he had prepared for today. But I'm assuming we're going to get to hear that next time. But one, you know, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed the holidays and the time with family and with some friends. And I couldn't help but at that dinner when I was asked to lead the prayer of thanks, to think afterwards that thanking God is not something we just do annually once a year because our nation has a day called Thanksgiving Day, that it's the way you and I live, thanking our God and being grateful for all of His blessings. And so I have decided to share with you today on guarding ourselves with gratitude from Colossians chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1 right there. I want you to imagine something with me for just a moment. Imagine that our city is surrounded by enemy forces and they aim to destroy us. They're, they're everywhere, and, and we're aware that there are even some enemy sympathizers that live and work inside the city, and they are viewing how they can undermine the city's defenses. And so if you imagine with me that occurring, and I hope you've got a vivid imagination, the city is surrounded the enemy is everywhere. There's enemy inside the city that want to undermine what's going to happen as the enemy attacks the city. But then I want you to also suppose with me that somehow we discovered that there's a song which the enemy and their sympathizers just cannot tolerate or approach in any way whatsoever. Matter of fact, that song, when they hear it, they pull back and, and sometimes even turn and run the other direction because of that song. Now, song leaders ought to really like supposing that because that's the way song leaders think, the power that there is in singing. But if there was such a song, I mean, wouldn't it really be important that you and I learn what that song is, what the melody is, what the words are of that song. So if we would learn that, then we could sing it right before we go to bed at night. We could sing that song when we got up in the morning to start our day. We could sing that song several times during the day, maybe on our way to work, maybe in the middle of the day when we're at work, or maybe when we're among some uh, strangers that we don't know very well, we would just break out in that song. And as our confidence would grow, as we would see the result of that song, we might even venture outside the city and sing it along the way as we travel to another town. And the more deeply embedded in our minds that that song would become, the more steady and calm 
and fearless we would become and other people would see that we acted that way and lived that way and they would hear and they would learn the song that we, that we were singing from us. And then in the end, we would conquer all the enemy and there wouldn't be any threat at all. Nowhere. I like imagining that. I like supposing that. I thought, wow, how neat that is. Because we are surrounded by the enemy. Satan and his forces, the Bible tells us he's the father of lies in John 8, 44. I mean, they're out there and his weapons are to deceive us and, and to delusion and make us see things differently right here. And his aim is to destroy any faith you have and any love you have for God and for other people. If he could cause you not to love others, if he could cause you in even the smallest way not to love God as strongly as you did before, I mean, that is success for our enemy right here. And there's also some enemy you know, sympathizers that are inside the city of our own souls, and that is the desires that you and I have and the wants that we have that were part of our old self before we started growing and learning to live for Christ. Those are still in there. But there's a song that Satan and his sympathizers just cannot tolerate. They just cannot approach it whatsoever. And that's when you and I sing thanks to God. When we're grateful to God. Now, what I want to do today in this lesson, I hope I can get this across well, is to, from the scriptures show you that God has appointed gratitude as one of the essential guardians of our soul. That some of our strength, some of our, our guard against the enemy is the gratitude that we have for God right here. And if we can just kind of stir up those feelings of thankfulness that we had on Thanksgiving Day and just carry that on every day, the day after, the day after, the day after, the day after, to where we're thankful for the blessings that God has given us and we just don't stop being thankful about it. Matter of fact, our thankfulness becomes even deeper for God, especially when we come together like this on the Lord's Day, we should be full of gratitude in this room. And I think we are. I think we are. And it's interesting to me that when we look in Colossians chapter 2, and we look at the scripture that was read just a moment ago, we find out that in this passage, Paul brings to attention that he struggles for the Colossians and for the Laodiceans. He says, I want you to know how greatly I strive for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen my face. Now we know later on in the book of Colossians in chapter 4 and in verse 10 and in verse 18 that Paul at this time is a prisoner and he writes this. And so when he talks about his struggles, when he talks about his strivings, He's referring to maybe the struggle he's having, not just being a prisoner, but the struggle he's having in prayer for them, uh, in verse chapter 4, verse 12, maybe the struggle he's having in writing, 
And maybe the struggle he's having in preparing Tychicus and Onesimus in verses 7, 8, 9, so that they can come and minister to them in his absence. Maybe he's, you know, the struggles of life that he's having, he's reminding them of that. And why is he doing all that? Why would you and I read it today? Well, it's because he wants their hearts to be encouraged. I don't know about you, but I like encouragers. I like someone who sets out and says, I think I'm going to try to encourage Tom. And they do it. Or I like even setting out trying to be a Barnabas, an encouragement to somebody else. Because I find out here that Paul is kind of like that. He's saying to them, I am suffering for you, but my suffering is for your sake. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened in your faith. Well, Paul, how does that work? Well, he says it works by knitting together. He says that their hearts might be encouraged as they are knit together in love. I don't know how strong your love is for the other people on your role or the role in front of you or the role behind you, but whether it's strong or weak, there is a love that knits us together. Whether you know them real well, whether you spend time with them this week or not, there's a love that knits us together. Uh, we've been accused of being a loving bunch. Well, you know what? We are. Some of those love knots are strong. Some of them are weaker. But we do have a love for one another. And Paul says here that he wants them to be encouraged as they knit together in love. And I think he means that you know they're going to knit their heart together with him. They're going to knit their hearts with one another. And he's saying that his suffering, his struggling for them, he's hoping that they feel themselves drawn to him and drawn to each other because of what they know with the cords of love that God has taught us right here. So he's trying to create this beautiful quilt, those of you who make quilts or have ever seen somebody do it, and he's sewing the hearts of individuals together with these threads of love and especially his own love for them as he suffers as a prisoner. But there's something really unusual about this quilt that he's talking about. Because when love knits hearts together, into this beautiful quilt of unity, the result is not just a stronger affection for one another, but also a stronger understanding. One of the great and strange facts of Christianity is that a deep, confident understanding of Christ comes not just from our thinking, but also from our loving Think of the folks you love. Think of the love that you feel from other folks. And you realize, for example, verse 2, Paul hopes that their hearts will be knit together in love. Why? To have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow. In other words, the way you and I understand the mystery of God, that is the way we understand Jesus Christ and the treasure chest of wisdom is that we have our hearts knit together in love with other believers. 
But we learn from one another. We learn from our study of the Word of God. We learn by being with each other and encouraging one another. And, and the deep insights into the character of God and the wisdom of God comes from heads that are attached to loving hearts. Wow, now I've got to look in the mirror and say, how loving is my heart? How deep is my understanding? How much do I comprehend? How much do I love? See, we remember, we got to remember that Paul's intending all of this that he's writing so far, it's for the sake of their encouragement. Do Christians need encouragement? Say yes. They did then, and they do now. We, we need this encouragement. And so he's saying right here that, that their love for one another and their deeper assurance of understanding is all for the sake of their encouragement right here. Then in verse 4, he shows what's behind this concern that Paul has about encouraging them. He says that I say this in order that no one, no one, no one can delude you with beguiling speech. Have you ever had someone try to talk you out of what you know is true? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you Christians are too stiff-necked. You guys are just too perfect. I mean, you've got to lo lo loosen up a little bit. You've got to live a little bit. You've got to love life and have fun. And, and you guys just aren't having any of that at all. <clears throat> surprise, surprise, you are. More than they are, by the way. And not feeling guilty after what you do. Don't let anyone delude you with beguiling speech. Don't let them talk you out of what you know is right. I don't care if it's your best friend. I don't care if it's a family member. I don't care if it's a co-worker. I don't care if it's television or your computer. Don't let someone beguile you with their speech. Don't let them delude what you know is right from wrong and stuff. And so all of a sudden, you know, somebody's trying to mislead them. And Paul, God is using him to help guard them from this deception here. And I want you to notice what he says to them. He says, first of all, you know, that he is going under some tremendous struggles on their behalf uh, in hope, by the way, uh, that th they will knit their hearts together, you know, to his and to each other in love. And then out of that body of love, would grow a, a deep and fully assured understanding of God. And then out of that love and that understanding would emerge a strong encouragement of faith. And this encouragement would be the power that guards them from delusion of beguiling speech. Now you got that all out of those verses too, didn't you? Yeah. It's like, Wow. It's like it's an eye-opener right here. You know, sacrificial struggle leads to love. Love leads to assured understanding of God. Assured understanding leads to strong encouragement. And encouragement guards us from delusion. Well, we've almost got to the main point. <clears throat> Paul in verse 5 
says his motive behind wanting them to stand firm and not be deluded. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He wants them to stand firm in their faith. Against any kind of deceit, any kind of delusion, because he takes such great delight in the good order and the firmness of faith right here. Uh, By the way, most ministry is designed to help cause that. To where there would be that good order, that firmness of faith right here. And the faith of the churches is where Paul's getting his joy. When he hears about a church that's being faithful and and doing what is right, he's filled with joy because of it. He, He gives glory to God because of it. And that's what you and I should do every time we hear about a faithful congregation of brethren, large or small. When they're holding to what's right, when they're doing what's true, Now, in verses 6, 7, and 8, we basically have the same points that he's been making in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, only we got some different wording right here. Notice how verse 8 corresponds to verse 4. He says here, See to it that no one makes a prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, not according to Christ. Verse 4, if you remember, says, I say this in order that no one can delude you with beguiling speech. It's basically saying the same thing. He's repeating it. He's making more emphasis of it right here. And they're warning Christians to guard themselves from traditions that would lead you away from Christ. Or philosophies that would lead you away from Christ. Or somebody's preaching or teaching that would lead you away from Christ. And then in verse 6 and 7... They correspond with verse 2 and 3, and both of them show us that we're supposed to guard ourselves from deceit. I don't know about you, but wake up in the morning and say, I've got to guard myself. I've got to be on guard. There's going to be some people out there who tell me false stuff. There are going to be people out there who try to lead me away from what I know Christ wants me to do. And the devil's going to use them to deceive me, to delude me into thinking that, well, maybe, just maybe, that's okay when I know it's not. There's a lot more stuff that's black and white than you and I realize that everybody's been throwing in the gray bucket. Saying, well, it doesn't look all that bad sometimes. Under certain circumstances, well, that looks like it'd be the right thing to do. Be on guard. Be watchful of that. Because he's saying right here, you know, therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in it with grumbleness, with criticism. With bitterness. Now, I'm being silly and you know it. With thanksgiving. With gratitude. I want you to notice four steps with me. Out of that passage, first of all, they were taught the truth of Christ. So were most people in this room and some are being taught the truth of Christ right now. 
we're learning the truths of Christ right here. Verse 7 ends with, just as you were taught. Second, they received him. Verse 6 tells us about that. Therefore, you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Third, they became rooted and built up and established in him, according to verse 7. And finally, they are to live a certain way. Verse 6 says, so live in him. Verse 7 says, in abounding with thanksgiving. See, we live different than those who don't know Christ because of the instruction that we have received. And verse 2 and 3 gives us the assurance of the knowledge of Christ that leads us to strong encouragement that will help us guard from the deceit that's mentioned in verse 4 right here. Now, I would say, and probably you would agree with me, that gratitude is even the completion of the encouragement. I am grateful, so I encourage. I'm grateful to God, and so I encourage. I'm grateful, so I encourage right here. Now, by the way, let me ask you something. Is it possible to be grateful and not thankful? Say yes. Yeah, because all of us have experienced that at one time or another. We're going along in life and something good happens. And, and so we get kind of a new breath of hope and, and joy in our life. And then we go on our merry, merry way forgetting where the source was on where that all came from. You know, merrily we roll along. We go on with our daily living and we forgot to check out the source of where that encouragement, that that good that happened in our life came from. And I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here because in verse 2 he has in mind here that humbly, you know, we are, you know, we receive this encouragement and the kind, by the way, that's only completed by us being grateful to God who gave it to us. Stop and think why somebody encouraged you. Where did that come from? God used that person in your life and in my life because we needed it during that time right here. So let's be grateful to God who sent it and who gave it. So when I look at the passage here in Colossians chapter 2, and I'm really thankful to learn that you know gratitude is the guardian of my soul, and so we ought to guard ourselves with gratitude, but... Wait a minute. If I don't, if I just choose, Tom, you can talk to your blue in the face, I am not going to be a thankful person. I'm just too mad all the time. I'm too bitter all the time. I'm too angry all the time. You are not going to make me be a thankful person. Well, okay. You're fair game then. That the devil will come into your life because you don't abound with thankfulness. Remember, the enemy has surrounded the city. Unless that song of thanksgiving can be sung in our hearts, the enemy will deceive his way into the city of our soul. And those enemy sympathizers that live within us is going to make his job so easy to come in. And so for the sake of our own safety, 
we need to strive to fill our hearts with thanksgiving to God. Let me throw another passage in the mix before I close. Don't grumble. Say amen. Yeah, you, you want another verse. Thank you. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 has this passage. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. In other words, if your heart does not respond to God with gratitude, if that's not what's in your heart, your mind will be darkened and you'll surrender yourself to the blinding work of Satan. And gratitude is the guardian of the lamp of the soul. And if the guardian dies, the lamp goes out. So it's really, really important that I learn the lesson that I guard myself with gratitude. I guard myself with it. In Colossians chapter 4, in verse 2, we have a great illustration of this. There's a connection between you and I being watchful and us being grateful. When he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. One translator says, being watchful in it by thanksgiving. And the idea of watchfulness here is you and I being vigilant people, that we, that we be people who are alert. Do, do you remember the occasion in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was taking his sleepy disciples up on their, the garden and he says to them, you know, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. In other words, he's saying guard yourself from temptation by watching in your prayers, being alert, being vigilant right here. And in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says that the way that we guard ourselves is that, you know, we guard ourselves with gratitude. That this is what we're guarding ourselves with. I love what one writer says when he was picturing this particular uh, statement right here. He says that, you know, there are forces against every. Christian and Satan deploys them against us and he instructs them not to focus on their energies on the prayerless believers you know those believers that don't have time to pray or or who won't pray he says instead focus on those who persevere in prayer go after them because whenever you bow your head before God in prayer it's, it's as though you and I put our knee into a bee's nest of evil and they swarm out all over around our heads and they do everything they can to divert our attention and dampen our zeal and discourage our heart and diminish our faith in God. So Paul says, watch out. Don't give in. Cover yourself with the net that the bees can't get through. And he calls that net our thanksgiving to God. Continue steadfastly in prayer. 
in everything. Let your request be made known to God. And guard your heart. The guardian role of gratitude applies not only to prayer and to spiritual battles, but it also in our everyday interaction with other people. You know, you can tell whether I'm grateful or not. I can tell whether you're thankful or not. See, if we get so busy that we don't show our thankfulness, if we don't show our gratitude, then we haven't guarded ourselves. We have to be that kind of people. I mean, it's amazing to me that we need to guard ourselves with gratitude. I think I've said enough. Because it's up to you to know whether you're grateful to God for what he's done. We've gathered here to worship God. And if you're not a child of God, you're among people who have dedicated their life to worshiping and living for God. Thanking him for his blessings. Thanking him for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Remembering that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. The amazing love that sent Christ to die for us. The amazing love that willingly let yourself be hung on a cross so that people could be redeemed of their sinful choices. We are a grateful people. And it might be this morning that you'd like to join the army of the grateful. And begin today to guard yourself forever with gratitude. If that's your desire this morning, we'd love to assist you if you just make it known by coming to the front while we stand and sing this song.